Hello and welcome to Between the Mountains, presented with the British Adventure Collective and supported by Sidetracked Magazine. This episode's guest is Sean Conway. Now, Sean is someone I've been wanting to get onto the podcast for quite a while, and because of my own situations going on, I've had to, had to, had to postpone a couple of times, but thankfully we managed to get this episode done a couple months back. Sean is someone who has such a wealth of experience. We're, you know, Growing up in South Africa, becoming an entrepreneur and entering the photography industry, and then exploring the world of endurance sports, doing first, fastest, and furthest records. And we do touch upon the fact that there might even be an elusive fourth category as well. So listen in for that from Sean a bit later on in the episode. It's quite a long one. So I, I, I won't do this for too long. <laughs> um, it's a really great episode. One of my favorite ones. Uh, he, he has such an, a, a fantastic, just a, a pool of knowledge to pull from. So I tried to fire some questions at him. So I do hope you enjoy it. Um, if you're listening to this at the time of release, there might be a bit of a break between episodes now. Um, just while I settle into a couple of things going on outside of the podcast. But I do have two fantastic guests lined up ready, just need to get them uh, booked in and chatted with. So I'm looking forward to bringing them to you as well. But otherwise, check out Sean's stuff if you haven't already. And I hope you enjoy the episode. Sean, welcome to the podcast. How are you doing today? I'm good, mate. Thank you for having me on. It's an absolute pleasure, and um, and yeah, I appreciate you as well. So I'm st- sticking with the um, coming on the podcast because I've I've had to cancel twice. So <laughs> very much appreciate it. Thank you. <laughs> no, you. You did me a favor on one of them because uh, I have a, a, a toddler who's going through terrible twos right now. So it's uh, <laughs> you know, and and I'm up in my garden shed at the moment, and it's uh, he's obsessed with coming up here, and it's because it's amazing it's got all my little trinkets and things i've collected over I can see. over the years and he um but he thinks they're all toys but actually some of them have quite big sentimental value to me and i'd quite like if he didn't break them so it's <laughs> that way you made a bath outside so you could try and, like, yeah yeah my outside bath it's right outside the door of my shed um he loves it he loves it almost every day honestly it can be minus two outside and he's like outside bath and i'm like <laughs> yes boy let's go that's that is the right way to do it yeah I mean, yeah and that's, that's a um, it's a tricky it's a tricky time isn't it because they're just finding their personality and realizing that they can maybe push back a little bit yeah so. well exactly yeah he sort of just doesn't understand no you know yeah yeah well he's he's, brought, he's brand new isn't he so he's uh, still, still learning it all mm. um so um one of the first things i wanted to get into was actually one of the first things i saw you do um I think uh, sort of long-time listeners of the podcast will know I was quite a latecomer to adventure. I wasn't, I wasn't someone who spent the last decade getting out and doing stuff. Um, and the first time I, uh, I, I properly heard of you um, was the foreword you did in Fiona Quinn's book, um, Ignore the Fear. Ignore the Fear, yeah. Yeah. Um, and then I was like, oh, who's this Sean Cornway guy? And I looked, looked you up and I was like, how the, how the F have I missed this? Yeah, Fiona, so she, as far as I know, her and I are the only people that have done Land's End to John O'Groats three times or more. So I've done it six times in five different ways. Um, and yeah, but it's human powered. She's done three and I've done three. So uh, can someone else do it? three ways please so you can join our little exclusive club because we're getting bored of each other now (laughs) (laughs) yeah i mean yeah the 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 door's open there for someone to do it (laughs) but um but one of the um 
one of the first things you're doing when I started following you on social media and, and sort of like like sort of joining in with the journey uh, was the national parks run that you're doing a, a marathon, a 15 marathons, 15 national parks, 15 days. Um, yeah. And I really wanted to make time to 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 get out and join you at the Wreck and Beacons one or the New Forest one. I, I just I just couldn't do, couldn't couldn't shift things around. But I wanted to know, like, so for someone who's already explored the UK so much up until that point, did it give you an even better appreciation for the UK, or, or, or did it did it just feel comfortable? Uh, oh yeah, I mean. So sort of so people were asking me, oh, what's your favorite national park? And it's, it was like choosing your favorite child. You know, <laughs> you, you just, because everyone is so different and it's beautiful in its own way. You know, you've got the rugged ones like Lake District and Snowdonia, but then, you know, Norfolk is equally beautiful because it's just, it's different for me. I'm not used to being somewhere where you've got such big sky. You know, you've got the sky 180 degrees around you. Um, and I love windmills. So, you know, it was that was equally beautiful. Um, and, and the reason I did that is, A, I just, I need a physical, physically difficult, difficult challenge in my life just constantly. Um, I need challenges in my life. I need projects that I need to work on. I have tons of hobbies and I like fixing up old classic cars. So all these, I just have to do all these things. But I certainly need a physically difficult challenge within my life. Otherwise, I just get really frustrated and, you know, a bit lazy in that. So um, so that was one of the reasons. But the other reason is the, the National Park sort of model in the UK from a public access point of view. You know, a lot of people are going to complain. You know, I've had this. I said, oh, you know, the model in the UK is brilliant because anyone can access it and everything. And loads of people are like, yeah, but it's over farmed and blah, 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 which is probably true. However, you know if it wasn't that it just wouldn't be if you said oh well we're just going to make national parks wild and free of of um livestock uh, you'd probably shrink the national parks <laughs> by because most of the national parks are privately owned you know you go into the lake district you know i, I think two-thirds of the lake district national park is is privately owned but it's still a national park which is brilliant and you can still walk through someone's field that someone else owns and you've got the right to sort of the right to roam you've got public access for hilltops where even though coniston old man for example is owned by an individual person it's private like they can't do anything with it because the government have put the, this law in where it's public access land um which is brilliant you know like anywhere else in the world you go onto someone else's field and you're probably going to get shot <laughs> you know and it's it's such a brilliant model and i wanted to just sort of show that we need to look after it because if we start taking the piss and start littering and not sticking to footpaths, then, you know, the, you have to start limiting people's access. So for example, Loch Lomond has already started to do that. You can't now camp in Loch Lomond without a permit and they only give certain permits out a day. So when I did the national parks, when I got to Loch Lomond, I went to look for a place to camp and it, it was no camping because all the permits had gone even though there was space, but they just limit the permits. Now in America, because all national parks in America, for the most part, you've got to pay to get into. Um, during COVID, a friend of mine in Colorado, he wanted to go for a day hike, no camping, just in, walk for five, six hours, get back to his car, go home. The wait list was six weeks. So if you wanted to go for a hike, you had to think about it six weeks in advance <laughs> because, you know, it, it's just over policed and you know there's possibly too many people so they've had to limit the numbers 
so anyway that's why i wanted to do the national parks is just to show off the amazing sort of wide open spaces we have in the uk and also how important it is to not abuse the fact that we are lucky enough to be able to access them for free you know yeah absolutely yeah and i think it worked as well because following along with it watching all the updates was was super fun on my end of things and also like just I'm one of these one of these people I think I've, I kind of hinted at before we hit record I get really fascinated by everything and so one of the main things I, I was really enjoying was wondering what the the logistics were like and little things like you explaining why you wear a shirt while you're running and not some sort of high-tech fluorescent running top that costs three yeah. quid or something yeah. <laughs> um, diving to those sort of reasons and wondering what the logistics were and the food were and how you were recovering I, I found all of those things that were kind of left unanswered, kind of given updates on. I found all that kind of fascinating too. So yeah, yeah. yeah well, it's it's so it's interesting. I I'm I'm so in my own little bubble of of endurance sport. I forget I've I've been doing it for ten years now. So there's a lot of little things that I just sort of guess take for granted, and that other people sort of think it's possibly interesting. Mainly because most of my friends and family around me just just a board of board of my stories so <laughs> i take that as the norm for everyone but actually there's probably probably some people do find it interesting so i should probably put more out there really i'm terrible on social media i sort of do one post a week or something it's 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 bad i i it's yeah i've sort of that's a whole different conversation that but yeah, the um, whole world podcast on yeah exactly social media engagement and how yeah exactly and... so um you know it's uh yeah, I'm glad. Well, thank you. Thank you. I'm glad you got something from it. <laughs> yeah, well, I appreciate it. <laughs> Back to you as well. But I mean, you, you kind of, you, you've kind of given a nice, nice, subtle segue in talking about taking things for granted. I wanted to jump sort of right back to the start with you. Um, and so for, for most people will know this, I'm sure. But, but for those who don't, you were uh, born in Zimbabwe uh, and you were raised in South Africa on a conservation site that your dad owned uh, with rhinos and elephants, right? Yeah, no, yeah. So he didn't own it. He he was. We worked for government parks, so mm. basically for the national park system within the province of KwaZulu Natal. Um, and he he ran a series of national parks uh, from a, a conservation point of view, not a tourism point of view. So you've yes. got, sort of got within national parks, you've got the conservation side and your conservation mandate and everything you're going to do to conserve the environment, and then you've got the tourism side, which funds the conservation really because you know everyone pe people just give all their money to polar bears and pandas so you know you've got some really rare birds and beetles and stuff like that that just don't get any money so you need the tourism to to fund that conservation um so yes yeah, so we just grew up you know my dad's job for 40 years was making sure rhinos and elephants in particular didn't get poached to death you know that that and it's and it's you know, it's fence lines, patrols, you know, aerial surveillance, drones nowadays, which aren't super successful because they're so noisy. So poachers can hear a drone coming a mile off and they just hide under a bush. So, you know, it's, it's and then they know someone's watching them. So whereas ground patrol, you can be quiet and things like that for rhinos. Um, and yeah, so that was that was my childhood, really, just in the bush, you know, running around barefooted. Um, must have been terrifying for my parents. You know, like <laughs> deadly snakes, spiders, you know, everywhere. And but you just you get you get a bit numb to it, you know. <laughs> what what did, did they looking back, do you think they made a conscious decision to say yes, let let 
you know, let, let Sean run free, uh, even though there's there's sort of threats out there? Or do you think that they made a calculated decision to, to think, yes, there are threats, but it's probably best he gets to explore and, and we're terrified, but we're going to let him do it anyway. Do you think there was like a bit more laissez-faire or did they do um, a worry I calculation? Think, no, I think most animals are scared of humans. So there was, you know, the reality of getting bitten by a snake is so, so rare, especially in your home you know we had five dogs which pretty much kept all the snakes away um and 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 you know you run and 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 snakes just don't want to be around humans really so within within your sort of garden you sort of you're generally fine yeah in 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 the winter you'd find snakes in the house now and then and that was because someone had left a door open so we always had sort of the main door but then you often have a mesh swing like an automatic uh, closing door so that no doors were ever left open so that you know if you couldn't get snakes that came into your house um but you know it happened once with my sister she was going down the corridor to go to bed and a mozambique spitting cobra um just reared up and she ran and you know that's a dangerous snake if it bites you on your foot or your hand, you're probably fine. But if it bites you anywhere near an organ, um, yeah, you, you know, it eats away your flesh, basically. So, and if it gets into your proper bloodstream, you know, a friend of mine got bitten on his foot. And um, I mean, his foot looked like a skeleton. You know, can you imagine what a skeleton, like it just melted all the the, 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 the tissue away and all that. So, um yeah, that, I mean, that happened once. We had a hyena in our house once because someone left the door open. That was pretty pretty worrying. And we had a, elephants in the garden sometimes that would drink all the water out of my paddling pool. My mum spent weeks thinking there was a blimmin' hole in it. And then one day I got up at five in the morning and there was an elephant drinking all the water out of the paddling pool. So, um, but, you know, you learn animals' behaviour. You know, it's, it's quite easy to tell when an elephant's, you know, a bit grumpy versus um, wants to kill you, you know, they have certain signs they start lactating these they've got these glands on the side of their head and if they're lactating it means they're sort of agitated and aggressive and the way they flap their ears you know if they're flapping their ears they're probably just doing a mock charge if their ears are back it means they're going to actually follow through with the run um with the charge so you know you you start learning animals behavior really so i think that's probably how you just you just live with nature rather than against it when you're in Africa um, and you just you, you know there's there are yes there's lots of animals that can kill you but you just try and limit that somehow um, outside you know outside our garden it was a very different story like there was sort of you just don't leave the fence of your garden like it just was a no-no because... how big a garden are we talking because yeah know, it's I... Africa it's Africa so <laughs> it's you know probably you know f- four acres three four acres of a garden so it's pretty big you know it's enough to run around um and then yeah outside that then it was sort of yeah because then it could be uh an old leopard you know they're pretty dangerous because they can't hunt anymore and they their eyesight's a bit rubbish um you know they they start lurking around human sort of settlements um and that sort of thing so um yeah then then you always just with dad you know type thing <laughs> yeah well but one of the one of the main things i wanted to ask was that everything you just described is such a rich and fulfilling upbringing and th- there's so much in there which you know, isn't 
well i mean at least in in sort of a uh, uk culture that's not normal to, to have a hyena in your house yeah <laughs> um, but equally on the other sand other side being raised on the conservation side i imagine with the knowledge of what your dad was doing and why with with the with the poachers were there any key lessons or core values that that childhood has given you that still sticks with you today yeah that's a really good question i i um i think an understanding of of humans roles within nature and within within the world it, it made me understand our responsibility um for years i wanted to become an environmental lawyer so throughout as far back as i can remember so probably you know, when I was 10 or 11, they were mining these big sand dunes, forested sand dunes on the coast for titanium. And there were these beautiful forests. And then literally it was just a mining site on the beach, you know, with these beautiful beaches. And I was like, how can they get away with that? You know, for, for titanium. And I know titanium is important for surgical reasons and things like that. But, you know, is it really worth destroying habitats for so I, so I remember thinking right we need to I want to become an environmental lawyer and that's the kind of stuff I'm going to kind of campaign to to stop um it's a bit different now it's 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 actually a little bit more complicated than just saying you can't mine so you know you, you've got to work with the mines now because actually people do need hips and and things like that and and titanium grows it, uh, is 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 in this part of part of the world and you can rehabilitate um natural uh, coastal dunes it takes about 20 years but actually if you know what these big titanium mines do is they just give millions and millions and millions of dollars back into conservation to help rehabilitate things and also help look after all those little birds that no one gives money for you know so so it is not as simple when i was a kid i was just like we can't we got to get rid of the mines we can't do that anymore um, but actually, it, it's it's kind of coming up with a way that w everyone benefits from it, right? Um, but yeah, so then, so that was my dream for, for a long time is is to to get into that field. Uh, I, 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 my grades probably weren't good enough, um, to be fair, uh, and I have no A levels, um, and I got into photography, so that sort of put an end to that really. But it was, I think, it was mainly my my grades, and 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 also the the realization that you sat at a desk your pretty much your entire existence as a as a lawyer um which kind of just didn't feel like that was the right thing for me at the time so uh, yeah so that's how i ended up going down the the photography path but no certainly growing up in africa makes you appreciate your role within the world from a conservation point of view um and and i think i think i've kept most of that you know I, I remember most of the things, the, the practical things I needed to do as a kid. And I try and do it now. There's different challenges now. You know, plastic wasn't really a big challenge back in the 80s. Uh, or probably was, but no one knew about it. Um, so it's, it's a bit different now on, on what, we all, what we're all focusing on. Uh, however, I, I think, and it's something I'd like to pass on to my kids, just, you know, living, living in nature. You know, so like nature's part of and, and wildlife and fauna and flora is all part of your everyday living. It's not just this interesting thing you read about on the Internet, you know. 
Yeah, yeah, exactly. I saw uh, by by chance this morning, just sort of absentmindedly scrolling Facebook after the school run. Um, <clears throat> there was a picture I saw where it had um, a lot of different symbols for animals and nature on the side, and then it's a human in the center, and it said ego. And then I had the human as part of that circle. And then it called that nature. And it was just a yeah. Yeah, not, nothing super powerful or moving or anything, but it was just a very good visual representation of remembering that we we are actually animals. It's just that we're smart enough to build houses. and, and, and Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, and, and we are, we are, we are sort of, because we're at the top of the food chain, mm. um, we are responsible for the rest of the food chain because yeah. we, we can, our actions can, you know, affect the rest of it. So, um, yeah, we have a responsibility. So, Do you um, find that you absentmindedly still sort of check in with updates about conservation law? Um, uh, do, do, you, do you sometimes see something and go, oh, I'll have a little nosy and have a read of that? Or, or do you, is it completely past you now? Yeah, it's, it's interesting. I, the, the, the sort of growing up with elephants and rhinos and, and you know, these big, serious animals, <laughs> mm. you know, that was my my world you know and yes you know i had a good understanding about all the frogs and the lizards and the the insects that were also endangered but really my world was elephants and rhinos with dad um and lions you know and um so yes coming to the uk when there was none of those big serious things if i'm honest it was sort of it sort of took me a while to sort of get motivated about you know hedgehogs <laughs> to, <laughs> to be fair um but now that i have kids now it, it you know you, you know as soon as you have kids it really changes sort of your your timeline if anything i think it's not changed my perspective on things it's what it's done is it is i feel that now my decisions not my decisions but it's almost as if i'm gonna live forever now through my kids and their kids mm. And, and that's how I feel. It's not like, oh, I changed my perspective. It's like, oh, all of a sudden, I need to think about my kids growing old and their kids growing old. Um, and I like that because it means, you know, for example, I was never interested in learning a musical instrument. But now I'm like, oh, I could totally, I have, I have, you know, because I'm 41 now. And I'm like, why learn the guitar now, Sean? You're like, you're way too old. Then I thought, actually, my kid's probably only going to learn the guitar in 10 years time. Why did I learn with them? And I'd, you know, I'd still have loads of time to learn the guitar. So it's, it sort of changes my timeline of life a little bit, having kids. So all of a sudden now I'm like, oh, hedgehogs are cool. Right. Let's do loads of stuff in the garden that invites more just animals, any animals, really. Um, it's really difficult, although in our garden, because our neighbours have six cats, which <laughs> is not great for quite a lot of wildlife, but never mind uh <laughs> when i was a kid we had a we had a cat and often often would be the case there was a hedgehog that lived in our bush in the front front garden and often would be the case you'd open the door to let the cat in and the cat would just be sat there looking at this hedgehog eating eating her cat food <laughs> really like, yeah just be sat there going get me out of here yeah. what's this hedgehog doing <laughs> yeah 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 so um but yeah you know putting putting things up to, to invite little bugs in like you know bug hotels kids love it and whatnot and planting wildflowers and yeah there we go i see that in the background <laughs> um and you know uh yeah so it, it it has made me sort of more appreciative now of, of the smaller animals sort of the e the e the conservation egoist in me which was like 
elephants and rhinos and lions and leopards you know those that's real animals <laughs> that's gone now that's gone now but I, I can't lie for a while I was just like I used to be you know writing rhino strategies with anti-poaching units with AK-47s and all that sort of thing and now you know baiting putting food out for hedgehogs to have a lovely dinner <laughs> very different but it's equally important you know <laughs> so um you I, I feel like we could do the whole podcast just on your time in South Africa like I'm, I'm just like like when, even when you think about the timing of it you know the you know if you if you wouldn't have the same experience in your 40s would it would it have meant as much as having it as a kid like there's like so much we could go into um yeah. but um uh, one of the things I wanted to ask you what was obviously you, you, you you moved to the UK and you didn't become a conservation lawyer. Uh, you um, um, you went into photography and uh, into school portrait photography. So, you know, you wanted to explore the jungles of Peru, went into photography and you taught before. And I wanted to sort of get more from you on that. You know, how money isn't everything. I mean, as we discussed before we hit record, money is still important. You know, you just need to eat, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. have a roof over your head. Um, but you know, what are your thoughts on chasing financial success compared to chasing something within you? Yeah, I mean, that that the answer to that changes, you know, yearly, really, on depending on your 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 situation in life. Um so when when you're self-employed, and I've always been self-employed, so I, I did I did a stint at Snappy Snaps, the photo lab in London. So when I first moved to the UK, I had a hundred quid, landed up in a cabbage and a salad making factory in Cambridge, cutting up all the salads for your pre-mixed salad bags. Which, come on, people, we all own knives. Just cut your own salad. But um, anyway, that's what I did to earn five pound fifty an hour. Moved to London, started working at Snappy Snaps six days a week. It took me six years of working at Snappy Snaps to eventually go fully self-employed, but it that was sort of just a job to pay the bills. Um, and the rest of the time I was just doing self-employment uh, photography. Um, and it's what's interesting, it, looking back now, is my sole goal was to be a 100% self-employed photographer. And I think that was probably one of my mistakes. So there was no... There was no, re there was sort of, I felt I was a failure if I'd had a, if I kept a real job for longer, you know, so, you know, I, I then, what it forced me to do is just choose money jobs because the quicker I could be financially stable within photography, the quicker I felt I was sort of made a success of my photography career. Um, and, and that was, that was a bad decision because what I should have done is, kept a, a part-time job for longer, which would have sort of freed me up financially a little bit, given me a bit of financial security to go and do some of the better creative jobs, which are slightly less well-paid. Um, but anyway, I didn't do that. So I, I started doing the school portraits, which paid very well. Um, and I thought, you know, in my head, I was like, I'm successful now. I'm a, I was 20 probably 25, 24, 25, I think, maybe 26, when I sort of became fully, fully self-sufficient on my own. You know, I stood on my own two feet and I was able to pay the rent and, you know, and I, and I 
could have only done that by photographing the the, the school portraits um, at the time because I hadn't built the foundation early enough for the creative stuff. And the problem was, is you then, once you're in that sort of money system and you have no creative, there's no, nothing I did gave me sort of any creative enjoyment. It was all financial reward rather than creativity reward. You just keep going down that road. You're like, oh, well, I, I'm not getting any creative stuff. So I probably never will. I'll just keep earning more money. And, and I just chased that, that sort of, that thing and and it wasn't just sort of earning more money it was sort of like oh well it was exciting you know right you know we, we were based in london we're like oh could we expand up to the midlands and and target all the nursery schools up in the midlands and that in itself in itself was quite exciting you know expanding and getting an office and getting staff and you know and and that again was part of me feeling like i'd made a success of this thing called photography even though the photography itself was pretty crap um and then, yeah, and then eventually, just 10 years later, nearly, um, from when I moved to London, so I was in, it was 10 years in London, um, it just wasn't fulfilling me at all, you know, and to the point it was actually really making me quite miserable because I didn't, you know, I just, nothing excited me anymore. I, I knew I knew how to do my job very well. I made enough money to live an okay life in London. Yeah, I didn't have a mortgage or anything, but I lived in a nice flat and um, nice part of London and, you know, bought the £10 bottle of wines at Sainsbury's instead of the 4 99 bottle of wines, you know. So um, <laughs> it was, yeah, so, you know, but then that was then. So it was quite easy for me to quit because I had no ties. Now, you know, it is a very different question because you know, nursery school is expensive and it's my responsibility as a parent to, to provide a childhood for my kids that I think they deserve. And unfortunately that costs money. Swimming lessons cost money, you know, going to going traveling, showing, you know, buying a bike for your kids so we can go on some bike adventures. It just, it all costs money. It doesn't have to cost as much money as you think, you know, you could get a lot of good bikes on, on eBay and that sort of thing. Um, there are some council pools you can go and swim in, although the wait list, we put our son on the council swimming list, uh, swimming pool sort of waiting list uh, two years ago. We only got the email last week. <laughs> so it's like, you know, um, because it's just, it's busy, you know, the pool's not big enough. Um, so, so yeah, so things cost money. So of course there's, there's a balance, right? There's a balance of working out how much you need to, to live Um and what you want to do in your life and and does does it cost money um and then and then work out a nice healthy balance between doing stuff you love and then doing stuff that you need to give you some security because i think i think it's idealistic and unrealistic to just go everything 100% of your time is doing what you love and it's your passion and you know i, I don't think that's real i don't think anyone has that in life I think, you know, everyone, I think if there's a 50-50 split, that's pretty realistic of 50% of the time you're doing stuff that maybe you don't particularly enjoy. Um, for me, it's I am the anomaly because I, I would say 90% of what I do, I really enjoy. And I just, I'm very lucky as a sportsman, you know, that I'm able, because I quite enjoy the training. A lot of sportsmen would go, 
well, I enjoy the competing and the racing and that, but the training I don't really enjoy. So that's their 50-50 split, whereas I love the training. So, um, you know, for me, I am, <laughs> I'm sort of preaching a philosophy that I don't line up with, but I'm just for, from experience, you know, I chat to a lot of people. I do a lot of talks at, in schools and in big corporates, and I, I sort of chat to people and, and ask them. Um, so what, what I, cause I'm also not of the, the philosophy of just quit it all and just go traveling. And cause I don't think that's healthy for everyone. Cause I think you need something to focus towards, which is why I've always gone for the records within travel, mm. because I feel that that gives me that, that focus. So, um, so yeah, it, it is, uh, it evolves the sort of the priorities as you get older and have kids and, and, and things like that. And, um, yeah, but, but certainly having the money as the main focus for me wasn't wasn't all it wasn't just wasn't right, you know. Yeah, I think um, t- there are so many situations where people fall into a, a, a mindset where things must be binary. It either is or it isn't. And and yeah, like you just like you just been saying, there is so much that that it, it's constantly gray. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, not, yeah, yeah, it's never exactly. black or white. Yeah, yeah, yeah. constantly gray. <laughs> just because one thing is one thing doesn't mean it, something else isn't. So yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Um, that's the world we're in now you have to choose don't you choose sides you have to choose sides nowadays can't like (laughs) both people (laughs) classic false dichotomy with george bush wasn't it it was uh you're either with us or the terrorists yeah um, exactly it's just like like who do you prefer william or harry i'm like both (laughs) of them like i've met both of them they're both cool like it's just like no but you have to like one more than the other like no i don't (laughs) yeah and it's just it's the the whole world's like that right you know (laughs) yeah i think uh, although mind you I, i i I grew up, um, you know, I, I got Facebook in secondary school when it, when it came out in 2007. So I've not really known a world otherwise. Oh, but yeah. I do wonder if maybe it's the power, the downside of the power of the internet, uh, pushing a, um, uh, the, this view that everything can just be wonderful all the time. You know, that, that I think as they say it in America quite a lot um, from just from the people I've interviewed. Um, don't compare someone else's highlights to your behind the scenes. Yeah, yeah, totally. Um, uh, yeah, I wonder if that's pushed it. But you touched on something in, the, in that um, in that bit there where the, the photography was making you miserable. And I think you said in another podcast that it took you uh, another 10 years to, to fall back in love with photography. And, uh, yeah. and I was wondering, was that like a, a gradual increase of, of enjoying it? Or was there a particular moment or thing that you did where, where you were just sort of swept away and started snapping again and enjoying it? Um. Interestingly, it was probably the ability to do good videos. I think the video side of things got me a bit more excited than the stills. Okay. Um, and even now, really, I only use my main, my main sort of SLR uh, mirrorless thing for video mainly. I will take it out a little bit and do stills, but I think the ability to create video content, I got really excited by. You know, I think... I th- I kind of wish, you know, I, I was sort of stuck also. The, and the reason photography didn't work out as well is, is I was stuck in the, the sort of film to digital era, which was a real horrible time to be a photographer because, you know, I was brought up with film and film was still better than digital back then. But everyone wanted digital. Oh, digital's cool. But the quality was crap. The colors were terrible. The contrast was off. The, the tonal ranges were just awful. So you're delivering stuff to your clients that are just crap you know um but they just want it digital man um so 
yeah so that I, I fell out of love with it there and also doing video stuff 20 years ago was just unattainable for your average joe to get you know cameras were expensive and big and bulky and and all that whereas now you know if had i become a photographer now i think i would have stuck with it because i would have i would have it would have been instagram i could have followed some of my heroes and got inspired by them um and kits kits cheap you know kits really cheap now um so it's great you know it's great to be able to to do all that sort of thing uh on on the cheap and do it well and the quality is good and so i think yeah video getting into video making you know was was really interesting now um and i kind of it's i, I probably would have got into it back in the day had i been able to afford the kit i think yeah that's interesting well i mentioned the timing of of you know the south africa being important or not and, and, and to the opposite effect uh, almost the, the timing of being interested in photography um with the power of hindsight of course yeah exactly <laughs> um, <laughs> um it's in- interesting there um on the adventure podcast as well with with matt pycroft you um you talked about um a monkey mode and a terrier mode oh yeah um, and and, yeah. and so just just briefly um, and then I've got a question about it. Can you explain to, to people who may not know what that is, uh, yeah. what the, uh, the difference is? So Caroline, my wife, you know, she sort of made me aware that I have these two sort of personalities, really. Um, and one is is the monkey, which, I mean, she didn't call it monkey interior. I sort of now put a, put an animal to it because I think it fits and people understand it. So... You know, when I'm a monkey, I just I'm just trying everything. I'm breaking stuff. I'm making stuff. I'm fixing stuff. I'm burning my fingers. You know, I'm forever. You know, I I go through fads <laughs> quite a lot. It's like I'll see a, an amazing painting and I'll be like, I want to be a painter, and I'll go buy all the kit and I'll do some painting for for a while, and then it'll be crap, or I'll enjoy the process but hate the result. You know, then I wanted to learn the harmonica and then I wanted to make beer and wine and whiskey and knives and woodwork and benches and, you know, dig, get into gardening. You know, so I, I love being a monkey because I it, I get to scratch, you know, my creative itch, my sort of building itch, my fixing itch, um, you know, fixing up. I've got old classic cars that I like to fix up. So I've got those in the garage as projects. Um, but I can't do that for too long. Because if I'm just a monkey the whole time, eventually I just get agitated because I'm just bouncing around from too many things. And so it's good when it's good. I love bouncing around between things. Um, I'm sort of captain multitask. I'll sort of do a bit of this and a bit of that and then run down to the garage and just glue something that I know needs gluing then run back up here and write a bit of my book, my next book and whatnot. Um, But yeah, as I said, I just need something every now and then. It's usually sort of once a year, once every two years. I just need this... Thing at the end of the, the tunnel where I'm blinkers on red mist just going for it and there's nothing that's going to stop me and I've, I've found over the years having a physically difficult challenge is the best thing for me to engage my terrier um, and and that's that's works for me so I now know you know I now know and I'm quite good at analyzing my own emotions and how I feel and sometimes I'm feeling a bit agitated and then I know, right, I just need to work towards something. Um, and then, and then I choose it and I do it like the, you know, and, and some of it's not crazy, crazy big, like the national parks marathons wasn't groundbreaking by any means, 
Um, it was difficult with the logistics and driving myself and doing it self-supported. Um, but, you know, I had to do that. And then I did the 496 challenge uh, last January and, and made a thing of that. And so I do that and then I finish that and then I, I'm back to monkey mode again. Um, and yeah, so it, it, it works for me. It works quite well. I'm, I'm, I'm sort of, I'm quite happy I've stumbled. A, well, I need to thank Caroline really. Because, <laughs> yeah. you know, she was like, Sean, just, you know, what? Just chill out and have dinner. Because, you know, she'll be seeing <laughs> me like halfway through dinner, go outside to fix the nut on the fence you know because i i've been meaning to do that but i haven't you know so uh, she's like just you know why are you just flittering around the whole time and then and then when i'm in terrier mode every now and then then she like she can't even talk to me because i'm just so focused um and yeah but so i'm glad I've, i'm glad i'm glad i'm worked that out really because it's quite nice to i'm not, not that i needed to put a label on it but i quite like the fact that i've discovered i have these two needs in life really yeah uh, and and it sounds like you're very self-aware anyway uh, but I, I was i wanted to ask really now that you've been sort of made aware of those two things do you do anything to consciously balance the two or do you do you still just carry on as per but you now you now are, know the behaviors you do yeah no i just carry on no i just i just because <laughs> i think i've always done it I've, I've, I've sort of ever since i got out of the photography i i started doing the sort of monkey terrier thing just because it, that was in my nature um so so now I, I just sort of do it and then every now and then i if i'm feeling a bit frustrated or i'm a bit, a bit fat and then a bit unfit then i know right okay you need to you need to think of something sean like it's just things are getting a bit miserable so um yeah or caroline tells me she's like sure you need another project <laughs> you need something big to work towards again you're getting annoyed <laughs> so um sounds like yeah, you two no. have a really good relationship yeah oh yeah 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 <laughs> just wants me out of the house i think something you spoke about as well previously was um talking about adding things extra to to records and, and attempts and endurance um and and in relation to having to build things up even bigger for them to be groundbreaking like you just said um and i was wondering in in your opinion do you do you think we're starting to lose options of creativity for 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 records and like things could become stale or do you think there's still so many things out there that can be done depends what you want to yeah i mean depends what you want to get out of it you know if you are trying to get world's firsts you know there's there's still quite a lot out there but you know there's there is this they call it the pink helmet syndrome where you know, someone will do worlds first. For example, they go, oh, I'm the first person to row the Atlantic wearing a pink helmet because the last guy wore a blue one. Now I'm, I'm going to be the first to wear a pink one. Um, so there is, <laughs> there's a little bit of that going on in the world of records. You sort of, you know, oh, well, I'm going to be the first to space hopper on a yellow space hopper backwards, you know, for the longest. Uh, but I, I have nothing against it. I think that's cool. You know, if that gives someone a reason to get out of bed and go for it, bloody hell, bring it on. You know, I'm not going to do it, but I'm glad you are because I can watch you and it'll be interesting. Um, and and probably quite hard to space hopper backwards, I can imagine. Um, <laughs> so, so, so yeah, it, it, it's hard. So if, there's three Fs of endurance that I was chasing. So if it fell into one of these categories, a first, a furthest or a fastest, then that would excite me. Um 
and firsts, world's firsts that aren't space hoppering, you know, or breaking eggs with your toes or something like that. You know, they they're a lot more hard. They're harder to find the legitimate ones that aren't super weird and obscure. Like I'm going to be the first person to climb this hill in Papua New Guinea, you know, because you probably would be, but you know, I, I have no idea whether that's difficult or not. Um, so there is probably a lot of those sort of exploration things. You know, there's a lot of, if you're into mountaineering, there's a lot of stuff in, in Antarctica that's not been climbed. Um, uh, apparently I'm, I, I get vertigo, so I'm not into mountaineering, but um, you know, the, uh, so there is a lot out there. So for me at the moment, it's sort of breaking distance records and speed records. Um, and there's another category, which, which I'm, I, I'm not going to say, but I, I've, I've only, I can't believe it's taken me 10 years to work out. There's a fourth category for world records, which I'd never considered. And I've now found that category and I'm going for a record this year in that category, but it's all top secret, uh, of course. <laughs> so watch this space. Um, but there is a fourth category, which, which is exciting. It, it's, I didn't think there was a, another, I thought, I thought all records were either first, furthest or fastest, but there is actually a fourth one. Um, it, annoyingly, it doesn't start with an F. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> It's so annoying. The word in a different language. <laughs> I know. I just, I, I, I went on the thesaurus. I'm like, there must be an English version that starts with an F. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, it's the three Fs and uh, which, uh, which you'll hear about pretty soon. Two months time, I think I'll announce it. But um, yeah, the uh, yeah. So though that that gets me excited. Having it's got to have for me a huge element a suit of huge risk of failure, I think. Um, well, I know. If there's no risk of failure, it's just not exciting for me, you know? If I know I can do it, you know, so the National Parks Marathons is a, is a classic example. I was I was 99.999% sure I could do 15 marathons in 15 days with a full support crew, you know, without belittling other people's attempts. Doing a marathon a day with a support crew is really not that difficult. You can walk it, you know, whereas doing it where I was fully self-supported. So I had to drive between each national park, which was up to seven hours for, for one of the commutes, set up, I was camping. So I had to set up my camp, you know, cook my food, do, do everything myself. And then even, you know, my laps, my routes were sort of back to the car so that I could get more food and water. Um you know, then, then I was like, oh, well, that, that I may not do because there's a, you know, that's a lot more difficult trying to work out, you know, all it, all it would have taken is to get stuck in some epic traffic jam on the M6. And all of a sudden I'm now running behind to try and get to the, the next start point uh, or the car breaking down or having an accident uh, or and what turned out the worst bit was just you know there's nothing worse for recovery than sitting in a car for six hours <laughs> after you've run a marathon. Um, <laughs> so you know that 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 excited me just having that extra that extra sort of risk of failure um, because the reward's better at the end, of course. And you um you talk about this fourth category, you talk about that excitement, and and that is kind of my next question is well, when you're thinking of a new endurance challenge. You know, is there ever something inside you that just just clicks and you go, "That's right. That just feels like it's the right one." You know, I, I'm wondering, for instance, are there ideas you get that sound cool, but they don't don't click with you, so you don't go for them? 
Um, yes and no. This some records I've I've not clicked with, but I just really thought that that that's super difficult, and I'd really love to have that as a story to tell my kids. You know, so and I think this the the the, the record for cycling across Europe was probably an example. You know, I failed the first attempt. You know, uh, got back, wasn't that excited about doing it again. And the only reason I was forced to do it again is because Lee Timmis was going to do it fully supported. And I, I was doing it unsupported. And it's the same record. Guinness don't differentiate between fully supported and self-supported because there's a big gray area, you know, like I, I've mentioned this in the past. An old lady gave me a banana, you know, in town. Did she support me? Don't know. You know, that's so, you know, I still carried all my own kit and whatnot. So I think that's there is a gray area. So so I, I agree with Guinness that they can't differentiate between it. So but once it goes supported, then it has to go supported from then on, because really there's no excuse to do less than 200 miles a day on a bicycle when you're when you're fully supported, really. Um, and I was doing sort of about 180, 190 self-supported. Uh, and Lee, yeah. So I knew, and Lee was a machine. He was going to absolutely obliterate that. So I was sort of forced to do the Europe record um, again because before Lee, because <laughs> I knew I had to get in before. If I wanted to get the record, I had to start before him. So that one, there was no sort of butterfly. No, butterfly is the wrong word. There was no sort of excitement like, oh, this is, I've been dreaming about this for a long time. Um, but I, I was excited about having that record to my name and having the book about it and having the story to tell my kids. And for me at the moment, that's one of my biggest motivating factors is just having these cool stories that, you know, my kids will find out about me one day, you know, at the moment I'm just annoying daddy who says no to everything. Um, you know, <laughs> I'm hoping one day they're going to think I'm cool, but I, I, all my friends with teenagers think no teenagers think their their dads are cool, so I'm wasting my time. I but think, uh, yeah. <laughs> so um, yeah, so it's uh, so so sometimes I just I want to get the record. I'm a sportsman. I want to break a record. Mm. However, this next one that's coming up, that one did excite me, and I've had another one that's excited me that I was meant to do in 2020 and then obviously COVID. Um, so that's still kind of up in the air, but I'm, I'm super excited about that. Um, when it, when it eventually happens. Um, but yeah, this next one starting in June is, is yeah. It, it, I, I even videoed the moment I thought about it. Cause I, you know, then I know I sort of did a video and I'm like, I think this is, this is, this, it got me just really, cause it's so hard. Like this, it, I, I mean, I say this every time, but genuinely this one is, is hard. <laughs> like this one is hard. It's long. It's, it's three months long, three and a half months long. So it's not the longest thing I've done, but it's, it's, you know, it's long. <laughs> if it's, if it's going to be that difficult, then you could just put an expletive that begins with F before it. Yeah, <laughs> then, yeah, yeah. That's and then you've true. got the, the four Fs. <laughs> that's a good point, actually. <laughs> just cast your way through it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. I'm not sure schools will take you on anymore. But <laughs> yeah, I know. So, yeah, you, you've achieved so much. And I was listening to you talking about your... Um, uh, your, your your swimming um, swimming the channel a record when you you used to get long emails um, saying you can't be done you're gonna die swimming Britain yeah swimming yeah, Britain. yeah yeah yeah, um, yeah yeah sorry not the channel yeah that's a <laughs> over my head there um, yeah 
how people were saying, you know, you're going to die long emails, like, like, like furiously typing. <laughs> and, um, yeah. And I just really liked when you step back and you just gave the comment when, when you, you're thinking, well, there's nothing to say it can't be done. So, so yeah. I think I'm going to go for it anyway. Do you think it's that objective mindset you've got which has helped you get as far as you have? Um, I think so. I'm quite, you've got a plan. You know, there's, there's, you've got to look at the things that will, I call them sort of game, game stoppers or show stoppers. What can happen that will end this attempt? You know, being cold isn't one of them. Being miserable isn't one of them. Being hungry to a point isn't one of them. That'll physically end the attempt. Not something that'll make you sort of not do it as quick. You know, so if there's a speed record, I don't include things like headwinds. You know, that's just going to make me slow. It's not going to end my attempt. It may make me not break the record. But, you know, for cycling, what's going to end my attempt? Getting run over. So I had six rear lights and high vis everything getting ill i made sure i didn't shake people's hands and you know all these sort of things in the lead up uh <clears throat> uh poor road conditions where i break a break a frame or buckle a wheel you know that'll end the attempt so you know you think of all these things and on the swim nothing there was nothing i saw that re- like there wasn't going to be this big riptide to america there wasn't going to be a big counter current anywhere um you know, the things that would end, end my attempt would be, you know, a, I don't know. I mean, tr- drowning, I guess. So don't swim in really bad conditions. Um, hypothermia, probably not, you know. So there was, yeah. So weirdly, I felt quite confident that the swim was totally possible because I did my research um, and I did my planning. So, yeah, but um, but no, people just... It's quite normal. You know, there's there's three... I've since learned there's three types of people who say you can't do stuff. You know, one is they're not quite right in the head. Two, they're a bit pissed. You know, they've just had a few whiskeys. Or three, they're jealous. You know, I, I generally find that they're, they're one of those three people. So when, I, when people sort of email me and say, you know, you can't do this, I kind of feel sorry for them because I feel bad, you know, that they're either alcoholics or jealous or <laughs> or you know have got a couple of screws loose so you know it makes me just kind of feel bad for them rather than resent them you know yeah absolutely but do you do you, is it a challenge though sometimes to, to filter through when people are giving you some comments that are perhaps worth taking on board and considering or, or is it have you got quite a good filter now are you quite good at seeing what's worth listening to even if even if you don't agree or or is it still kind of difficult to chop and change um i listen to everything and ignore it all so (laughs) you know so uh i yeah no because i think for the most part you know people probably think they are really helping they think they're helping and they probably are helping because it's giving me fuel for the fire if anything um so i do take people's you know I, i look at it and then you know it's pretty quick it's pretty easy to work out whether what they're talking about is is legit you know like people said oh the waves are too big i'm like well they're big when they're big just don't swim you know okay you know or the tides are too strong but i'm like you're swimming with the tide so how's that gonna affect you you know um there's killer whales in scotland that is true there are killer whales in scotland but no human has ever been killed by a killer whale in the wild ever in the history of of mankind 
as far as I'm aware. Um, the only killings have been done in captivity. Um, so, so yeah. So you know, you you you. I take people's comments on. I then do a bit of research, and it's quite easy, quick to discover whether it's it's good or bad. Um, you know, there were some people who said, you know, it's going. There's bits of Scotland where you just can't get to shore, and I'm like, okay, well, that's legit. You know, that is that is a genuine issue where you know the boat is tiny; it can't fight the cut, the the current and the tide. Um, so when you change change locations when the tide is running south and and your anchoring is north and it's eight miles away and you're only doing a mile an hour against the tide you know that's a that's a proper problem because you may not get to your anchorage before the tide changes and then you know then you're screwed so there's lots of that little bit of advice which i then did take on board and, and and try to work out with you know various people on how to make it happen but the problem is a lot of people they don't actually give you the advice and that was what was happening on the swim people were just sort of they weren't giving advice they were just saying oh you're an idiot it can't be done but they weren't actually they kind of weren't saying why really and i'm like that was annoying i I hate it when people aren't sort of if you're gonna say i'm an idiot like at least help me (laughs) you know (laughs) give me a reason why i'm an idiot so that would have been useful yeah, I, I I feel the same way about things. Like if you're gonna if you're gonna say stuff, then then please please add something that that gives a bit of weighting to it. You know, there's yeah, um... just be be constructive. You know, like I'm I'm good with that. There's no ego in me. I'm not trying to sort of pretend I know everything. Please specify. Um, yeah, exactly. So and it's interesting. So some people, you know, every now and then I tend to not reply to the trolls, but every now and then I'll just say. Oh, can you elaborate on that? And then they go quiet. <laughs> yeah. Well, they're placing their limitation on you, aren't they? Uh, you yeah, know, there's, yeah. I had a chat with a guy uh, who um, is doing something uh, a little bit more dangerous. Um, he's trying to cross the Darien Gap. Um, and what he gets a lot of the time in, in his words was, I wouldn't do it, so why are you? Uh, yeah, and, yeah. and it's that mentality, that lack of open-mindedness that, that yeah, totally. comes forward in an email. <laughs> or or an Instagram yeah. message. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah, no one could be bothered actually emailing you now. It's just a tweet or a comment. <laughs> so I've got one last question before I, I ask sort of my my standard one and a half wrap up ones. Um, and 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 I phrased it here talking about being a father and, and and I wanted to sort of explore. You know, have have you you know changed what kind of endurance uh, advent, uh, adventures that you will accept or think of? But actually, in chatting to you the last um, what, n- nearly an hour, it it really feels like there's there's so much objectivity and there's so much passion and there's so much experience that it doesn't really feel like you've had to change anything about what you do having a kid. It just adds more purpose. But I don't know what what, what are your thoughts on on taking taking these risks when when you're when you're a dad and, and the way that you do them. Yeah, really interesting that. Um, I've thought about this a lot, and because I get asked it a lot at talks when I do public speaking, that's pro- almost the the most common question uh, that people sort of ask when I'm in a room full of people. Like now that you're a dad, I thought I would want to wrap it all up, and you know, because I, I have to be honest, I've been bloody lucky with what I've done in the last 10 years you know like I know it I every now and then I scroll through my own website and go you know what Sean you can retire 
and you know what you've you've had a good run like there's no reason why you should feel the need to go off and do anything more because i, I genuinely how i feel i genuinely feel that um and you know you're a dad now you've got two kids let you know just be there for them but then actually i i, I sort of sat back and thought I, I think i'm doing them a disservice if i quit doing the thing i'm good at um you know, and, and then all of a sudden it was just a switch in my head. I was like, actually, I want to do more impressive stuff so that my kids, and I, I said it earlier, so that my kids can one day go, whoa, dad, yeah, that is hardcore. And, and also I just want to have, you know, you know, when my kid's learning guitar and he's moaning about sore fingers, I'm like, dad, you, I swear on the length of Britain, boy, you don't know pain. <laughs> so, uh, you know, there's, there's the side of me who wants to be that. But, you know, I, I so now, weirdly, I want to do, even more impressive things to just be an example for my kids so that they can hopefully use me as a metaphor for their own journey later in life. What I have put an, a sort of a, a line under is anything really that has a sort of a risk of death that is not quite high, but well, yeah, a high risk of death where, where there's sort of you can't control it so for example i kind of put a line under ultra endurance cycling when i became a dad because for me to get any better or start winning certain races you know it, it just would involve a lot of sleep deprivation on public roads and a good friend of mine got killed in australia when he got run over um, and he was one of the yeah he got hit and he was i've been hit as well um and yeah, it's sort of, but then every time I'm on the bike, I'd get a real buzz out of it. I'm like, damn, did I, did I quit too early on the old ultra cycling scene really? But I just couldn't, I, I, I wasn't going to get enough of a reward achieving anything more than I achieved in the world of cycling, ultra cycling without adding significant risk. Mm. So the, the stuff I've chosen that I'm wanting to do now, there's, you know, I mean, I want to say there's zero risk of, of death. Of course, you can, you know, someone can drive a bus off, you know, off the road onto the pavement. You can get run over any day. So there's, I probably have the same amount of risk as just living your, your everyday life now. Um, but the rewards are still high because what I'm trying to do is just so physically difficult and logistically difficult that that excites me. So I think, yeah, so being a dad has probably taken away you know, things with that are just like, I get it that are exciting, but dangerous. So I used to, I was just getting into paragliding before I became a dad and I'd just done a couple of solo flights. And then, you know, I just thought, you know what, really, am I, am I getting a, enough out of paragliding? And I know paragliding is really safe, um, but you never know, you know, for me, it was just that, that, that one, it was just a little bit too, you know, I, I wasn't good enough. Had I paraglided for years before, I probably would have stuck with it because I'd have been. But I was still a newbie learning a sport that where you throw yourself off a mountain. It's just it's sort of, no, no, no. Just I got the fear, I guess, on that side of things. Um, but again, I'm I am just an endurance sportsman. You know, swim, cycle, run. That's you know inherently not that dangerous. Um, so yeah, and also I'm, I'm also people think I'm away a lot. And they said, well, when you, well, you know, as soon as you have a dad, you want to stay at home more. But actually, I'm, I'm at home a lot. You know, I, I do one big thing every few years. Obviously, I've done nothing in the last four years because of COVID. Um, 
but before that I'd be away for like a month or two months in the year and then the rest of the time I'm pretty much at home you know I do my public speaking and that's one 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 day a week or so but um yeah so yeah it's it's weird I've become more ambitious to do harder things where there's lower risk of death <laughs> something like that I think a good way of putting it yeah. <laughs> um, I think uh the, the the thing that screams um screams out to me and I, I kind of relate to this as well um is you need to show your children how to live not tell them how to live uh and I think like, like you said earlier talking about a disservice to them it, it would be hypocritical to become a father stop everything and then now tell them that they've got to go and experience the world and, and enjoy themselves yeah. to live life to the best because then you're you're yeah, also then exactly. not being your full self, are you? If you're not, if you're not yeah, taking a yeah. box for yourself. Although if, if my kids want to do anything I've done, I'm going to say no. <laughs> Daddy, <laughs> I want to cycle around the world. Hell no. <laughs> cycle to work, get a job, boy. <laughs> yeah. It was different when I did it. It's too dangerous now. But then it's, it's the world changes. You know, when I did my Europe record, I cycled across the whole of Ukraine through Kiev and Lviv and into Russia. And everyone was super friendly, honestly. Mm. In fact, those two countries are the friendliest um and i did the border crossing and no one cared like everyone was just you know super excited to have someone who was definitely not you know eastern european in their country visiting um whereas now you, you just wouldn't do it you know you know yeah. so you know 20 years ago my friend cycled across syria you know <laughs> i cycled across germany now you wouldn't have done that 50 years ago so you know the world does change and it's very everywhere changes all the time so yeah but it would be hard if my if my son's you know either of them said i want to cycle around the world i have to be honest i'll i'll be bricking it yeah it'll be calmer because you know i've put my parents through hell over the over the years <laughs> yeah it, it is it is really weird isn't it yeah i was yeah chatting to someone yesterday um and he's a new father of i think just just shy of two years um and he he was saying like you just cannot describe how much it changes things mm. like you that there's you just it's one of those things that you have to do it and by all means do it when you're ready or not at all but that change like the change itself with no judgment at all to anyone else is just it's just not it, you can't really describe it can you it's, yeah it's, it's weird <laughs> so the the last question and a half i've got is um the first one is in all of your endurance career everything you've achieved uh and and screw it let's include growing up in south africa too what is one moment that you'd love to relive oh that's good that is good the monkey in me cannot choose that like it's just it's, <laughs> it's, i've done too many interesting things um the monkey's done too many interesting things whether it's you know building a fence in the garden and you know that sort of thing the moment i'd love to relive oh that is that is good. I think when I was so in Africa, you just sort of get sent to sort of African farm school, which is boarding school, which is miles from home. And I remember coming back home into the game reserve, that feeling, you know, it, and I've tried to work out how I can recreate that in Wales for my kids, <laughs> but it's impossible. There's no lions. I think that 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 excitement that I went through the gate. And, you know, between the, the gate for the game reserve and my house was an hour of driving through the bush, knowing at any moment there could be an elephant blocking the road or a lion in the bush, you know, that 
I, as a kid was just an amazing kind of like, I live here. You know, this is my house <laughs> in the middle of the bush. Um, yeah, that will always be a special moment, a special, have a special memory in my, my heart. And, you know, I, 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 I'd love to somehow create that for my kids. Um, but a long way off that, I live in a bungalow in North Wales. So <laughs> it's <laughs> no, no elephants and lions here, but um, I could create a, some, something similar. I'd love to, to somehow create that for my kids. Not, not the lions and elephants, but creating a sort of a home environment where they just be like, wow, this is, this is cool. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And if if people aren't already, I, I don't I don't know why they're not. But if we wanted to follow along with your adventures uh, and keep up to date with you and even read some of your work, where could we do that? Oh, gosh, I don't know. Just search my name, I guess. <laughs> Under whatever. If you're into reading, go on Amazon. <laughs> uh, Instagram is probably where I post the most. Well, no, Instagram and Facebook and Twitter on there, YouTube. Um, everywhere and nowhere to be honest I sort of, yeah i mean I, i'm terrible at self-promotion so just go and follow ross edgley well, way more interesting than me <laughs> well whatever you're doing is working so <laughs> well, listen i'll put i'll put all those links into the the show notes anyway so people can go and go and click and, uh, and, and go through on that but um sean thank you so much for coming on the podcast that was a pleasure thank you yeah chris thanks for having me mate nice one